Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm just peachy, David. It's a little little cool here. This feels old good. House. Chris, you like that? I wouldn't call it Chris, David. You know, it's it's blowing what little hair I have left on my head off of my head when I walk outside. But other than that, I don't, I don't call that out at this age. There are yeah. a, lot of, a lot of factors to consider. Yeah, there are. Uh, but it's not uh, not what I would call crisp. But when the when the wind dies down, it'll be great. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah. And after I finish picking up the shingles out of my yard. So it'll be great. <laughs> Uh, and also joining us is our old pal, Evan Grant, who's been gone for like, oh, I don't know, a month, two months. How long has it been, Evan? Uh, a week. I, I was gone a week, Kevin. Uh, one of, it's I think you much... missed two podcasts in a row. Uh, I don't believe that was the case. I think it's, I think it's true. Maybe I did because I had a doctor's appointment. But I was, um, I was gone for a week on vacation, um, kind of like what you consider a typical month. Oh, you know, that's that's a pretty big cheap shot considering uh, that Brad Townsend and Joe Hoyt and I are all out there doing your work uh, at the at the ballpark yesterday. You know, I have to say this, Evan. Nobody asked about you. Nobody, nobody ever does, Kevin. Nobody I, ever does. I, I do have a question for Evan, though. Can can you transmit Lyme disease digitally through a podcast? I'm I'm just wondering based on reports I've heard from your Evans got ticks. I uh, the first night up in the great northeast, I woke up <laughs> in the middle of the night and there was a tick trying to burrow its way into my neck. <laughs> and then I I immediately panicked and got the tick out of my neck. Then and only then did I go and read the CDC site. And figured out that pretty much I did everything that I was not supposed to do. So God will only will will only know if I have Lyme disease here in the next couple of weeks. And then I fell in a river after the Rangers named a, a new manager. And so the the takeaway from all this is that I do not not belong anywhere near the outdoors. It's a good thing the Rangers now have a, a roofed stadium. I, I don't belong in, in in the out of doors. There's things out there that can kill you. Was there a direct correlation between the Rangers naming a new manager and you falling in the river? Let me just say this. to the other. Uh, let me just say this. The great John Blake said, you know, we'll probably name a manager when you're like at the top of a mountain or something. And lo and behold, I was at the top of a freaking mountain when the, the thing happened. I got I, like a text and then it all started dying and I couldn't communicate with anybody. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine you being at the top of any mountain. Well, you could drive up this mountain. It's relative. Yeah. Okay. So you could drive up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the, uh, the, the world tour, Evan. We appreciate that. Uh, Good foliage, leaf peeping. Did you enjoy leaf peeping? It's great, man. It was, it was fantastic. New England is not overrated in that regard. It was a great drive through all of New England. Um, Even went through Tom Greaves' hometown of Pittsfield. So, uh, uh, and, and I texted with Tom, the, the, the great Mr. Ranger while I was in Pittsfield and told him, he said, Oh, you got to eat at this place. And I said, well, we're sitting in there right now. So he said, you're, I'm, you're, I was way ahead of him. So that's my travel story. And that's how I bring it back to sports. Lobster Kevin roll, so good lobster roll. We had, uh, I had the best lobster roll in my life. And best where was one, that? That was in Wiscasset, Maine at Reds yeah. Eats. It is not 
to be it is not to be missed. The wait is long. It is worth it. I don't like to wait for food, as everybody can tell by my physique, but it was worth it. And then uh, Portland, Maine is a great town. Kevin is so bored right now. Look at him. Look at Kevin. People, I, I wish people could speak out. I, I, want, I want to tell all our listeners is that before this <laughs> podcast started, I suggested we have four topics, and these two clowns said, oh, we don't have time to squeeze in four topics, but let's talk about Evan's vacation. You know, okay. We've talked about Evan's vacation. Can we move on now? You sound so agitated. Maybe you need I'm a little agitated. time off. There's a little, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff going on here at the house. It's not so good. We're having a little remodel going on. It's not, it's not going so well. We're having okay. a remodel here too, Kevin. Oh no, I don't want to hear about it. It's a brand new house. I can be remodeling a brand new house. The dog is remodeling it. It's, uh, <laughs> it tends <yeah>. to happen. <laughs> okay. All right. That's enough of that. Uh, moving on. Uh, the Cowboys actually won a game on Sunday and they actually had their starting quarterback return for that game. Uh, kind of, sort of. He was kind of back. Uh, he, he got better as the game went along. Uh, so, so uh, David, uh, what is the, the final take on Dak's return? Do we feel like that he was just kind of working out some of the kinks? Because I, I have to tell you, I had a, a woman from Mississippi write me and, and say that she was canceling my newsletter because uh, it was uh, I was too hard on Dak in it. I mean, I, and I just said, you know, uh, she, she, she made the point that about her, his bad thumb and all that. And I said, well, I don't think the bad thumb had anything to do with the decision-making process. And that was the thing that was a little more troublesome than any after effects of the thumb injury. Don't we think? I thought your newsletter was free. She canceled a free service. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. that really is bad. Oh I'm, not milk, I'm not delivering milk to your house anymore, lady. <laughs> Boy, Allie, it's a tough crowd, isn't it? Well, Dak, uh, you know, Dak had missed. It was 42 days between games uh, that he played. I, I thought, um, you know, he talked about his return, what he learned about this team in his five weeks on the sidelines, how they won. He wanted to be respectful of that. He saw the identity they developed. And uh, I have some numbers on that we can get into a, a little bit just to show how they were kind of different offensively without him and, and really kind of how he mirrored that with, with some of what he did uh, in that game on Sunday against Detroit. But uh, I thought there was a natural inclination uh, when you're the franchise quarterback and you're getting paid that much, yeah, there some of that is ego, but some of it is uh, Dak just has a sense of obligation to this team and what his responsibility is. And, and I think there's a sense of you want to remind everybody, while he was appreciative of what Cooper Rush did and respected it, there's still human nature to want to remind everybody about who you are and what you can bring to the team, right? And, and so I thought that led to uh, some poor decision-making in the first half. I, I thought he made some throws, some very risky throws in situations where he did not need to make risky throws. And I, so I think he was kind of forcing a little bit. But as the game went along, you saw less of that. And and just to to give you the breakdown – he was 9 of 14 for 104 yards in the first half. In the second half, he was 10 of 11 
for 103 yards and one touchdown. So I think in the second half, he started to accept, okay, I don't need to take some of these shots. And as he called it, uh, he let his overconfidence uh, sway him in some of his decision-making in that first half, which is you're throwing into double and triple coverage thinking, well, I have the arm, I have the connection with this guy, we'll still make it work. When this team with this defense and certainly against that opponent did not need to take that approach. So I think he wrestled with it a bit, but he he understood that this team developed an identity with me out. And rather than impose my will, I need to fit in here. And as the, the more I play, then the identity of this team will you know naturally evolve a bit offensively, which it needs to do because offense uh, is still the weakest phase of this team at the moment. Yeah, the, the issue for me with uh, this team uh, in, in offense and what's going forward is that you have to look at the broader picture as well. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of roaring, rip-roaring offenses in this league anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you got you got Kansas City, you got Buffalo, and everybody else is struggling. Uh, the, the Packers lost to Washington, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, with the, with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Tampa and, Bay. Tampa, Bay, Tampa Bay. With the other one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is struggling just as well. So there are things like that happen. And I, I think, you know, as much as I hate to agree with the owner, uh, but after the game, he <laughs> said, I, I just like to see, you know, Dak present the run pass option. And, and, and to, for me, the, the rollout play with Dak, especially down at the goal line, is such an unstoppable play, I think, for him because of what he presents. And that's what he brings to the table that Cooper Rush does. And besides, you know, there are other, obviously other things. He's got a better arm. He, you know, they're, they're just they're, there are a lot of things that he brings that Cooper doesn't. But that's the primary one right there that this guy. That's what he brought from the difference between him and Tony Romo was when we came out on board. So these are the things to me that and, and maybe I'm just I was thinking, well, maybe they don't want to show their whole hand. Right. It's first game back. It's, mm-hmm. let's, let's let him get his feet under him. It's just the Lions, just the Bears. And then, you know, we'll we'll bring those things back. And, and why show everybody our full hand before we you know, we need to. Yeah, I think you'll see RPOs more going forward. To the extent that we saw him early in his career, no. But but now that you're back and this offense has more balance and they're more committed to the run than they've been in the last three seasons, I would say, uh, it's a natural extension to me to now add a layer on top of that in the run game, which is the RPOs. And um go from there. So I think you'll see it. Uh, They had a few RPOs in for this game, but they didn't get to them is my understanding. Uh, I think you'll see those in in the game plan uh, from week to week going forward. Uh, You know, a couple of other interesting things, though, and this goes to style of play and and, uh, will they still play the same way going forward that they did with Cooper Rush? Um, You know, you have seen in recent years, now this is this has been a correlation with the slide in the run game where Dak has been in the shotgun more. He's a little more comfortable in the shotgun formation. Um, well, what did they have the most success with when Dak was out with Cooper Rush? It was the play action. It was under center. And to me, that is something to watch going forward. And in this first game, uh, Dak threw 25 passes. 13 of those, he started up under center in play action. Uh, and and you're a play action team because you have a run game and the run game helps the pass game, and that was that was something this team stressed in the off season. It was going to be more under center 
uh, and less shotgun because they wanted to improve as a running team. And play action should help Dak going forward, even though he has been more comfortable in the shotgun of late. And he actually had good numbers in the shotgun in this game. And their one touchdown was was out of the uh, was excuse me in the uh, play action under center. And their one touchdown in this game, offensive touchdown, was uh, the last one, uh, the one that he uh, his only passing touchdown did come out of a play action and under center. Another one very quickly, he had 25 pass attempts against Detroit. I went back and I looked at it. He has had fewer than 25 pass attempts only three times in the last 58 regular season games, dating back to the 2017 season. And one of those games was when he suffered the compound fracture of his ankle against the Giants. So there have only been two games uh, in the last 58 regular season games where Dak Prescott, when not injured, has had fewer pass attempts than he did against Detroit. Now, you can say how much of that was a function of him just coming back and, and you're easing him in, or how much of it is a function that they, the offensive distribution has changed. Uh, we'll see if this is, uh, you know, he continues to play here over the next few weeks. Yeah, we, we've debated that topic about how many times do you really want Dak to throw. I mean, he's had success when he's thrown 40, 50 times. Sure. Uh, but the team hasn't had as much success no, uh, in those situations. So, uh, yeah, I think that they need to find a form. I, I, I just feel like they need a go-to play for Dak, just like uh, Philadelphia has developed a go-to play for Jalen Hurts, a couple mm-hmm. of different things, things that give them an identity. This is what we do. I, I, I just feel like this is the way the NFL is evolving, at least this year. Who knows what it's going to be like next year. But this year, it just seems like defenses have really taken over the league. The Cowboys have, obviously, one of the premier defenses in the league. They played uh, after looking a little bit uh, shoddy against the Eagles. They they were, obviously, much better against the Lions, which sounds like a crazy thing to say, except for the fact that they were the third highest scoring team in the league coming in, and you held them to six points. Yeah. Uh, two field goals. So no touchdowns, that, five turnovers in the second half. Something this team hadn't done in a half since the Super Bowl against Buffalo. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty impressive, all things considered. Uh, you know, across the board. Um, and so, what do we think? Uh, I don't really think that it should be. You know, the Bears are not as formidable, certainly as uh, the Lions were, at least offensively. The the Lions have a lot of problems on defense. What do you expect to see against the Bears, David? Well. The Bears did have arguably their best performance of the season in beating New England in the Monday night game. And uh, offensively, I thought they looked much better uh, than what they have over the course of this season. But to me, that still goes back to Justin Fields and how erratic he is as a quarterback and who you're going to get. Uh, I, I think that's why the Bears offense hasn't been better and why they haven't won more games this season, uh, because he's just not a consistent player yet. Uh We'll see what he does against. And the other thing, New England had some quarterback issues that I think uh, allowed, you know, New England just shut out Detroit before, and then Chicago lit them up. So you go, oh, Dallas needs to be concerned. And I think this could be a a bigger test for Dallas because, uh, you know, two of Detroit's most explosive players didn't play in that game. Swift, their running back, uh, was a scratch from the start. And uh, St. Brown, uh, their most explosive receiver went out with uh, because of the new concussion protocol early in the game and didn't return. Um, Chicago has all of its top offensive players ready, but 
But we've already seen this Dallas defense. Uh, when it locks in, it can really limit any team's offense. The fact this is at home, the fact you have the bye week coming after it, um, you know, I, I think you can expect uh, Dak Prescott to be further along. I think they'll do a better job of getting the ball to Michael Gallup in the in this next game, something they didn't do against Detroit. Um, I think Dallas should win the game, but if you get the Bears team that we saw Monday night against New England, it's not going to be an easy uh, time of it whatsoever. Well, the Bears, the, the thing with the Bears, David, for me, watching a little bit of that game last night is, you know, you looked at all the, I, to me, they were designed run plays for Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's another good exercise because this season is going to come down to how the Cowboys perform against Philadelphia on December 24th on Christmas Eve. And I feel like what I saw last night was a miniaturized or a poor man's version of what the Eagles have been doing with Hertz. And, and so I think that's going to be a good, that's a good, what's the right way to put it? Mid kind of mid stretch test for the Cowboys. Test. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you, you get a good opportunity to show we can do a better job against that than we did um, the first time around. So I, I, I do feel like the Cowboys should win this game. I, I don't feel like Chicago is a very good team. I don't feel like there are very many good teams in the NFL at all, and really not any in the NFL. Especially the, the NFC. NFC. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so the, the season comes down to to how you do against the Giants in, in Philadelphia, and I think the opportunity here to show this defense off again and, and figure out more ways that you're going to be able to stop a similar quarterback is a good opportunity for the Cowboys. Let me I think a, that's a great point, real quick, I was, because Evan rarely has great points, so I want to reinforce it when he does. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's a great point because uh, we all know the way to attack Dallas's defense is run right at them, right? And, and every team's going to do that, it, that, is, that is built to do that because they don't want to unleash that pass rush because Dallas has a pass rush unlike any other in the league, and you're trying to keep Dallas out of that. But what has given Dallas – his defense the most problems in the run game is with a quarterback that is actually part of the run game not a quarterback who runs when the play breaks down but as an option from the snap to run the ball and two teams do that Philadelphia does that with Hertz and New York the New York Giants do it with Daniel Jones both of those teams ran more effectively against Dallas than any other. So you're exactly right. I, I think Dan Quinn's in there. I think the rest of the team's in there going, okay, look, this is – we saw what Jalen Hurts and Philadelphia just did to us on the ground. This team can attack us in the same fashion. What are we going to do? Uh, we need to have some success so we feel better about this going into that uh, game on New Year's Eve – or Christmas well, Eve, excuse me. I'll throw one more in there. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray tears up the the Cowboys, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and his are not – his are not programmed. They're more off schedule. Um, but they do have problems with these quarterbacks. I, I just feel like – you know, I felt like they, they needed to have a spy – on uh, Hertz in the Eagles game. They didn't do that. It looked like that's what they were trying to do a couple of times with Micah Parsons, and he got caught in between. 
But that was occasions where where guys were getting rubbed and and the guys were supposed yep. to be covering the guys back behind Micah were were out of the play. So um, it, it made Micah look bad in those situations when in fact it was not his fault. So they, and they, they made the decision very quickly in that game for him to be more linebacker. So now did they learn from that? You know, last year when they had success against Hertz, they put they put Micah Parsons on the line and just say rush. We're not worrying about a spy. Maybe they do that again with Chicago. Maybe they determine you know what. Forget the spy stuff. We have safeties and, and you know, we have J. Ron, you know, we have Donovan Wilson. We have J. Ron Kirsch. Uh, you know, we can we can cover for that. Let's just have Micah go after the guy, disrupt the play, and then we'll go from there. So we'll we'll see. I think this will be an indication uh, in some way so of how they will play Hurts that second time around. Yeah, I'm all for disrupting Justin Fields' game. I think that's, that's the way to go. And a quarterback that's struggling. Uh, yes. Remind him of, of that early. And if yes, he, I, right. he threw, he threw a, a, I think it was one of the touchdown passes that he threw to the running back last night. That was one of the gods' most awful looking passes I've ever, I've yeah. ever seen. He got an incredible break there. But if you can make him throw the ball, you can make him make mistakes. And and I, I just feel like this is a great opportunity for Dan Quinn and, and the and the defensive staff to say, look, this is what we learn. This is what we want to be able to do better and what we're going to need to do better and, and step forward with that. I want to say, too, I, I am surprised that Justin Fields has struggled so much. I, I really thought he was going to do do well. And he may still, you know, there's still time for him to develop, but the early returns are not good. I, I've not Doesn't been Doesn't remind you a little bit of Jalen Hurts early in his career with Philadelphia where one week you would get, wow, this guy's really something. And then the next two games you're going, what in the world is he thinking? Well, it kind of seems that's where he is right now. I just thought that I knew more about Jalen Hurts uh, and and talking to people in Oklahoma and and the difference between him and what they were able to do with him and what they were able to do with Kyler and with Baker Mayfield that it was that people up there were saying it's no comparison. We we can't do all the things that we did with those two guys with Jalen. Jalen just offers you he offers you a lot of good things. Just not the same kind of thing, especially in the passing game. So I, I felt like that Justin Fields was more advanced than that uh, than Jalen. That's why you know Jalen was was not a first round pick, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, it is kind of a, amazing. We'll see how how it goes for, going forward. You know, the thing with these court these coaches though, it's just like in Denver with Russell Wilson, right? I mean, what in the world's Nathaniel Hackett thinking? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make this veteran quarterback who's been very successful in his career doing what he does let him let russ cook right let him mm-hmm. do what he wants to do but no 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 i'm gonna even do what i want to do you know I, I tell you i don't understand offensive coaches i, I just don't get them they they, they want to show you how smart they are they don't want to show you what's the best for us to do to win uh too often that happens so well, which anyway. is where very quickly i give mike mccarthy a lot of credit when he came in here saying i'm not going to impose my form of offense on this. Dak's been in a system. Dak's comfortable with it. Maybe I'll incorporate some things along the way, but let's not disrupt that. We have continuity here. Let's build on it, not tear it up. And you don't see a lot of offensive coaches that do that. It's coming in and no, let's let's go to this system because it's going to to pay dividends over time. Well, and certainly uh, what I like about Mike McCarthy the most is that he told Kellen Moore, hey, how about let's run the ball? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's that's certainly been a and that's what you got to do as the head coach, right? You can't just turn sure. around and say, "Hey, this is what my offensive coordinator wants to do." I'm all for giving these guys some autonomy, but let's not give them carte blanche. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's move on now. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a a regime change out there at the ballpark uh, while Evan was gone. Uh, uh, 
one of the one of the best managers in the history of baseball. If you certainly look at the numbers, if we look at how many times he won a World Series, he won three of them. He went to four. Also won a pennant with San Diego. Uh, Bruce Bochy is now the manager of the Rangers. Evan, I think the thing that was the most striking about all of this is when you look back at the history of the Rangers, not only just the Rangers, but the entire franchise going back to the Senators in 1960, that of the 20 managers that have been uh, hired to to uh, to work one of these two teams in one of these two places, he's the only one that ever won a World Series before he got here, and he's won three. But not only that, he's one of only five managers who'd ever even had another job as a manager before he got to uh, either the Senators or the Rangers, which is a, a really a kind of a phenomenal development. And I, I think there's obviously a lot of factors that go into that. But the bottom line for me was, you know what? We've tried it this way for a long time, not only for John Daniels, three you know, first-time managers, but that was just kind of the history of the franchise really even before that. Why don't we go out and try to get a guy who's done it before and won big, and, and it wasn't a flash in the pan either? Listen, I, this managerial situation, this hire, and this plan was from maybe even before Chris Woodward was fired. The idea was that Bruce Bochy was the guy, and he stood so far and away above everybody else in terms of credentials kind of credentials like you just mentioned, Kevin, that nobody in this organization has ever seen. And I, I think that that's one thing that can't be overstated is the Rangers have hired a guy who has real credentials. He has, as you said, taken two teams to the World Series, built two teams, had stability, and it is hard for anybody to find a real flaw with the way Bruce Bochy runs both a clubhouse and a game. He's great at handling pitchers. He's great at presence in the clubhouse. And so for the Rangers to go out and target somebody from the start and say, we're going to aim high in both terms of credentials and what it's going to take to actually pay a manager to come in here and go out and get that guy without after having to go to any contingency plans or anything like that, I think is, is a significant development for this team. It speaks to um, how driven Chris Young is as the GM, uh, and it speaks to the uh, the sales job, I think, that the Rangers did uh, with Bruce Bochy, not convincing him to come and manage. I think Bochy always wanted another shot to manage when he – once he got healthy again, I think what the Rangers did a good job of was convincing him that this was the right place at the right time, that the, that the right pieces are, are, are there and that there are going to be better pieces to add to it. I think the big questions now that come along are, are, are two. One, you asked at the press conference yesterday and, and Ray Davis you know, gave us is the, the typical answer that we would expect, and that is, are you willing to pay what it's going to take to field a a playoff caliber team? And that is the going right now is two hundred million. And I, I thought what was interesting about Ray's answer yesterday to you was the first thing he said was, "Well, the two teams with the highest payrolls in baseball were not playing this weekend." Um, that's the escape clause. But the bottom line is that of the 12 teams that went to the postseason this year, nine of them were in the top 12 of Major League Baseball payrolls. It's going to take more money 
And that's the next step. Ray Davis has got to go out and invest significantly in pitching. That's going to be the thrust this offseason. Second part now, I think one thing I, I mentioned that Bruce Bochy is, is a really good game manager, particularly with pitching. He's had two pitching coaches in his career that, that lasted a long time. Darren Balsey with San Diego, Dave Rigetti with San Francisco. Both of those guys are sitting on the sidelines right now. It's going to be real interesting to see if Bruce goes out and hires or can get one of those guys to also come back with the fire because I think he wants a veteran pitching coach by his side for the same reasons that we just talked about a veteran manager. They want somebody who's not going to go through the the learning curve that a manager has to that a, that a first timer has to go through. They want somebody who's got credentials, who pitching pitchers are going to buy into immediately, and who has some proven results in the past. I'll throw one more name in there, and that would be Mike Maddox, who's sitting out there right now without a contract in St. Louis still lives in the area, would he be a candidate to return as well? Uh, I don't know about Mike Maddox coming back. I, 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 I'm kind of up and down on him a little bit. Uh, I, I think Dave Rigetti, a, a former Ranger, uh, would be a, a, a great hire as a, as a pitching coach. I, you know, I think uh, he's only a great hire if he wants to get back in the game, right? I mean, well, if you've yeah, got to convince sure. him. How then- long has he been out? Uh, I think Rigetti's last year in San Francisco was 17, and I think he served in kind of a um, consulting role. Sort a of consulting role, that. yeah. I, I just don't think, you know, when we talk about uh, guys getting back in, and, and obviously, listen, first of all, unless you're dead, most of these coaches and managers are all dying to get back in. You know, that's my experience with any coach is that they never get over it, you know, and they only quit because of their health is bad. Or their or their spouse says, you know, I'm going to kill you if you don't quit. Uh, so I I think that that's to me that's the only two things that ever get them out. So I think they always have the fire for it, uh, and and so we'll we'll see what they can do. I I do want to uh, talk about because I talked to John Miller yesterday, the great uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster, and he broadcast games for the Giants, and he was telling me uh, some stories about Bruce Bochy. And one of the two of the things that were the most striking to me was one, obviously. It's the humility uh, of Bruce Bochy that, you know, and which is what is most striking about a guy that is as uh, uh, accomplished as he is, is that he's always willing to defer to the players. And it's not a fake thing. You, you can tell when it's fake. And Michael Young also talked to me about that, about, you know, ball players are great at spotting a phony. Uh, they see through it right away. They're just around you too much to know whether you really mean what you're saying or not. The second thing was that when he talked about uh, managing in a World Series, he said, you know, I was around Joe Torre when he was winning World Series when I worked for ESPN. And then he said, of course, I was with with Bruce uh, when he was winning a World Series with the Giants. And he said, and I also had conversations with Sparky Anderson. And all three of them said the same thing about the postseason, which was that it's a different animal. And we you, you don't everybody else says I'm going to manage just the same way in the world or in the playoffs that I do during the regular season. And what those guys said was, no, we don't do that. We're, you know, it's different. It's all sped up now. It's fast. You cannot wait around for things to happen. You can't wait around for guys to do something. You've got to move. Uh, and I think that's the thing about Bruce that uh, it's easy to see uh, what a great guy he is. He just, he's fun to be around. He's uh, so, uh, you know, self-deprecating. You know, I, I followed him around after the press conference and for the photo op and some other things. And, 
he's just just a fun guy to talk to and be around. So that that's going to be uh, uh, such a not that these other managers that the Rangers have had weren't good guys and and you know okay they're they're all great you know in their in their own way. Uh, Bruce Bruce is just a different animal. I've been around managers for the Rangers dating all the way back to Bobby Valentine. And already I feel uh, like this guy is an easier guy to be around than all of those guys, even Wash for that matter. He played for the Houston Astros in the 70s. So Kevin and Bruce Bochy have something to bond over. That's, this what, is- Bruce, that's what Bruce said. Bruce said, <laughs> we go back. I told him the story about I was there in 1980 in the press box when Pete Rose made his introduction at home plate. Uh, and he, and, uh, we laughed about that. Uh, and that was a very famous play. And, uh, and, and as I was leaving, he says, Hey, anything I can do for you, let me know. We go back 40 years. I said, yeah, we do. We go back 40 years. <laughs> Kevin's such a, he's so easy. Me and Bruce. Me and Bruce. Oh. Well, the second, the second thing is, is that, you know, the guy's got an eight, he wears an eight and an eighth size cap, eight and a quarter. Uh, if he, if he hadn't had his haircut. So uh, everybody talks about that all the time. He jokes about it all the time. His Headley is his nickname. Uh, but the thing about that is there's a big brain inside that big head. And that's, that's the thing to remember about Bruce Bochy. I think this is a, this is a great hire uh, for this organization. Whether it works out or not, I don't know. But I think it's still a great hire. Uh, there, there's no reason to, to knock any part of it. it, it you cannot... This was the hire the Rangers had to make. If they are serious about winning, um, there are some first-time managers that are going to get hired this winter who are going to be good. But this team has invested money. They intend to invest more money. How much more is the big question. But it needed a guy in the clubhouse who's had some experience, who's got some skins on the wall, who can then, I really think, take this team and mold it into a more cohesive group. Um, that was the biggest disappointment about this Rangers team from my perspective, watching it all year is they just functioned like a bunch of individual parts. There was, there was nothing that, that indicated team play. And I, I think with, with a guy like Bochi, um, who's got those, the, the, those skins who um, has that level of humility that you mentioned, but also has the ability to be, for lack of a better term, you know, physically imposing. Not like he's going to get in anybody's face and threaten them or anything, but he's just got a presence. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Joe Torrey and you mentioned Sparky Anderson. These are also guys who, um, well, Sparky was a very effusive guy, but Joe Torrey never came across as a very fiery manager. He wasn't a fiery manager, but he had a very calm, steady uh, approach to managing the game and the team and the clubhouse. And that, that solidified things. And that's something the Rangers have been lacking. And no, no question very about quickly that. On, on the payroll about how far are they outside of the top 10? What would so they, they need were to, 15th, to become top 10? They were 15th this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, listen, there's no reason that the Rangers should not be in the top eight in payroll in major league baseball year in and year out. And to do that is going to take going to $200 million. And if they want to add two pitchers, whether or not one of those two is Martin Perez, or if you're talking about a third pitcher by bringing Perez back to get there, it's going to take pushing $200 million. 
Well, look, there's there was no reason, in, in fairness to Ray Davis, and, and I'm not always on his side either, uh, but uh, but in fairness to Ray Davis, who was who he going to pay up to now? You know, they, they haven't had a good team. There was no reason to invest. The worst thing you can have is a bad, expensive team, right? So, 100%. Uh, Yes. But you so, only did half the work last year, right? You addressed the offense yeah. in some regard. Now you've got to get to work on the other side, and it's just as expensive. Yeah, I, I had this conversation with a Rangers official yesterday. You know, that was the thing going into this last season is that they were short all over in pitching, short in the rotation, short in the bullpen. They went into the season that way, thinking that, oh, well, we'll get these things and we'll come back. And then, you know, Hernandez will come back, LeClerc will come back. We'll be great. Well, it's like, yeah, they came back and they weren't very good, you know, and then neither was anybody else. And the bullpen was burned up by then. So they made a lot of mistakes. If those mistakes had not happened, I'm, I'm wondering if Bruce Bochy would be here now. And I'm going to say I'm going to say that if if that was the price to pay to get Bruce Bochy here was to have that mess of a season, then I was all for it. And well, it you never, right. you know, you never want to make somebody a sacrificial lamb or anything like that. And Chris Woodward's a good man, and he just wasn't given very good teams. And I, I think he's going to be a big league manager again, and he'll he'll be he'll have more success. But yeah, to to your point, this was not a team that was put together with the idea that the manager was going to be successful long term. No. Well, and, and that was it was just going to be hard for him to make it this long anyway. Four losing seasons in a row. It's hard to survive that. Uh, 100%. So, all right. So, let's move on over now. to We're going to talk about the Mavericks and their start. Uh, they had been uh, uh, a little bit in the first game, like, oh, my gosh, same old thing, run out of gas in the fourth quarter. Uh, then they come back in the second game against Memphis, which a lot of people uh, in 538 being one of them, I think had uh, uh, coming out of the West Memphis number two, and then they blew out the Grizzlies in that game, blew them out. Uh, that was a, a, a scary kind of performance by the Mavericks uh, in game two. So David, what do you think? Uh, are they closer to that first one? They ran out of gas in the fourth quarter, like they did all season long last year against the Suns before they got into the playoffs and then, uh, and then, beat Phoenix at its own game, or are they closer to the model that was just looked unbeatable against Memphis? Well, when you're a defensive team and you blow a 21-point lead on the road in the second half, uh, that's disturbing. Uh, but it also reinforces that uh, defense is about effort and co- consistently putting it out there, and, and you have to play at a certain uh, level and they didn't do that. They took some things for granted. So uh, I think you saw a response on that. I wouldn't read too much into the Memphis game because Memphis played the night before. Uh, and we've seen in this league back to back, uh, that's very difficult for teams to do. And, and frankly, I don't put a lot of stock in the first 10 to 12 games of the regular season. Uh, it tends to be all over the board, uh, in what you get because, uh, you are usually working in some different players, different rotations. Uh, and, and a lot of times the good teams will take anywhere from eight to 12 games before they settle in to what they are actually going to become over the rest of the season. So I don't want to read too much into it. But, but again, it just reinforces where uh, in the West there are so many uh, difficult matchups. And as good as Luka Doncic is, he's going against – some other star player on another team in the West uh, most evenings. And 
but but I will say this: if they continue, you know, and there's a legitimate MVP buzz to Luca going into this season, as I think there will be for the next five to eight years or more to come because of his skill set. Um, but to win those awards, you typically have to outperform your uh, contenders in these head-to-head games. And he certainly did that against Ja Morant uh, in Memphis in that one. So I think I think you're going to see Luka motivated by that individually beyond team goals this year. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of games he puts up against the other top uh, players in the NBA, even though they're not necessarily guarding each other one-on-one, right? So, and, you know, now this was, to me, this is amazing too. And, and, and Callie Kaplan wrote about this today in the, in the Dallas Morning News. This will be the first time in one year and eight months since Luka Doncic and Zion have gone against each other because of Zion's injuries. And uh, it, that's just remarkable to me that this guy at this stage have only gone against each other once. But this is another matchup where, where it's very intriguing. And you say, hey, well, let's see uh, two great stars. Let's see what happens here. I'm not even really sure, though, he's going to be able to play, though, is he? Zion, exactly. He, yeah, he hey, has a hip contusion. So he may not play tonight. Yeah. My gosh, it's always something with this guy. You know, yeah. he, he is a phenomenal athlete. I remember, you know, watching him in college and then I, the the play that sold me was when he went out on the wing and blocked that shot. <laughs> it was six feet out of the guy's yeah. hand when he blocked it. My gosh. It's like, well, how does a guy this size get up that high? That is unbelievable. You know, he, he to me, uh, Charles Barkley, there was a time when Charles Barkley was very explosive, the round mound of rebound. And I remember him yeah. watching him in college and, and the way he could get up. But even Charles Barkley does not have in his prime at his very best. He wasn't athletic and built like Zion was. But no. but again, what, you what and a great go back 40 years also, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But Evan, Evan, go back to whatever you were doing. Be quiet. Yes, David, but, uh, you were saying? No, it's just how Zion and, and, and Luca are such a great contrast because physically, as far as being physically imposing and the tools to dominate on a court, you would take Zion 10 out of 10 times. But Luca shows Luca is not the most physically imposing. He's not uh, the most athletic guy out there. But it just shows you a, a, of, a, of an understanding of the game and a different sort of game. And Luca plays a different sort of game, really, than any other NBA player at the moment with the start, stop, you know, uh, the, the way he moves. Uh, it's kind of an in-between speed. And, and, and usually players don't play at an in-between speed, right? They're either all out or they're, or, you know, they're, they're more reactive. So it's, uh, uh, he just has elements to his game that no one else does that compensates for not having the great athletic physical gifts that some other players do, but you can get there in different ways. And he's, uh, that, that's to me why he's such a, uh, so interesting to watch. And it's so interesting to watch going up some of these other NBA stars because, uh, what makes them special? All of them is is a little bit different, and 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 I think the NBA showcases that more than any other sport, really. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Evan. Guys, would you say that Doncic has the best court awareness in the NBA? Doncic, uh, I you know I, I don't I don't want to say that he has the best. Um, I mean he, he's he is very aware of what's going on. I mean LeBron James has. Uh, 
tremendous court awareness. I think that Steph Curry has tremendous court awareness. Chris um, Paul does, you know. Chris Paul, yeah. I mean, Chris Paul, you know, they, they call him the, the point god for a re- reason. So I, I think that there are guys who do. I think the thing that's so impressive about Luca, and, you know, it's it's funny here in Dallas because we want to always compare to Dirk. And there 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 are things to compare with, with Dirk. And one of them is that just what David was saying, because of the speed with which Luca plays in that question with the other day when, when I was out there, they were, was asking Jason Kidd about, do you expect that maybe you'll be speeding up your offense a little bit more this year? Because it was one of the slowest offenses in the league last year. And he goes, no, I don't think we're going to speed it up at all. This, because this is the way Luca plays, right? You know, uh, and, and it's successful and it works for him. So this is what we do. So the, so the Maverick present just like Dirk did, Dirk was not the prototypical power forward, right? He redefined the position. And so, and became a stretch four instead. So, uh, Luca, in his own way, is is kind of doing the same thing. I don't know that anyone will ever be able to. You won't see big men, you know, just like their big men followed uh, Dirk and became shooters. I don't know that other people can do what Luca does. You know, because he's such an odd mix. He's such such great size, obviously for a point guard. Not so much his height, just his bulk. You know, he's very difficult for for people to to guard. Uh, and so uh, he presents such a different conundrum uh, from anybody else. So what that requires, though, is that you have to assemble the right parts around him, just like you have to assemble the right parts around Dirk. And it was difficult for the Mavericks to do that uh, and to attract the right kind of people and to get uh, everything to work the way it should. The Mavericks are still tinkering with that. They found uh, something that worked in the playoffs last season, and they decided that we're going to go for a different model this year. And I will have to say that after two games, that Christian Wood looks pretty good, uh, averaging 25 points a game. Uh, David, do you think that he can be uh, a true second star for the Mavericks? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see on that. Uh, Evan, real quickly, I, I would say that Luca has the best court of awareness of any player in the league under 30. Because I think there's a difference in, in guys like LeBron and Chris Paul who have been around a long time. Uh, but but along with that court awareness, he's also at an age he can and size that he can execute some plays and, and passes that you don't see from other players. Uh, yeah, because there, of I the mean, passing angles, you know, just like Magic in his day. Magic, I don't there were other players that had great court awareness, but Magic at six nine could make passes at angles that a six two uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas could not. So I think Luke is that same sort of player on, on that. Peak physical skills at this age, um, and, uh, well above average awareness. And like you said, he's got the ability with because of his size to do some things that other guys can't do. And the thing is, I mean, he's still so young. I think the ability for that for that court awareness over the next couple of years to continue to to improve, yeah. right? And, well, and, and he, I think and going you, back to what Kevin said, I think I think you will see that even more now with Christian Wood, a, a talented big guy who, while he's good at threes, also crashes the board. And you're going to see that this is the best offensive. Uh, this is the best Christian Wood skill set fits Luka Doncic better than Kristaps Porzingis did. I, I think we can already see that already, and. Uh, so I, I think when you have two guys of that size that can develop a rapport, you're going to see even more of Lucas skill set, 
uh, in court awareness come out. And uh, it, again, very early, but but Christian Wood certainly seems to be thriving on it at this point. The first first player in uh, Mavericks history to score twenty five points in uh, in in his in his debut in, in back to back games. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I don't think one, one last thing about Luca, and I, I, I think this is his greatest attribute is just his confidence. Uh, and, and that is the thing about him that has always been there. You know, when uh, uh, Faku was out the other day, he said, you know, when I played with him when he was a teenager, he was he was like an old man. And we, and we knew what he meant when he said that, right? Yeah. He, he didn't play like a kid. You know, he, he played like a guy who was 30 years old. Well, he plays like a guy who's 30 years old now. But there's, so, I mean, there's got to be, there, there's, con- great players have confidence, right? But what separates great players from talented players is that not only do they have that confidence, they have self-awareness. Not, core, I'm not talking about court awareness, but I'm talking about self-awareness. And I think Luke has got that. And I think it's, it's continued to improve as his experience in the league has grown. Yeah, I think so. But he, he was, uh, listen, I think that was the, the thing when the Mavericks drafted him, they, or when they made the trade for him after the during the draft, they they knew they were getting a good player. You know, they knew he was a really good player. They had no idea he was this good. They had no idea that he would turn out to be this player this soon. And I think the thing that I was kind of counting on, well, the only reason that I would have liked him, obviously Donnie. You know, I knew Donnie liked him, and I trusted Donnie's opinion of these European players. Uh, but the, was the fact that he played at 14, he's playing with men, you know, he's playing basketball with men. So, so it, it's almost like, you know, kids today, because they're so well-versed in, in, uh, in social media and, and all the things they do. And so they, it's just second nature to them. Right. Whereas some like a fossil, a Luddite like me, all these kind of things are hard to, to, to adjust myself to. Whereas Lucas, he was playing against men when he was a, when he was barely old enough to be in high school and so I think he felt like I can do this against anybody. I can do this against these guys. I can do it against anybody. There's never any doubt that creeps in with him, except maybe at the free throw line. Maybe but you do have there. to learn, right? You do have to go through some experience and learn, okay, this is what I think I can do, and this is what I actually can do. And I think Luke has been smart enough to realize as he's gotten more experience in the league, these are, these are the things that – I, I was maybe too supremely confident in, and and he's honed that a little bit. Sure, and he's but uh, you know he loves it. he all of it, and that's that's the other thing. You know that's what Kobe Bryant had. That's what Michael Jordan had. You know was the killer instinct. I'm going to put my my foot on your throat, and uh and and, and frankly, Dirk lacked that. You know for a long time in his career, and and that was uh, that is the thing that's the difference maker for me. Is that's what you want to have in a great player? It's one. It's just what you said. There are lots of guys with a lot of talent. There's not a lot of guys who have that killer instinct and that kind of confidence as well. So that that's a, a rare thing when you get that. And, and I know right. we need to wrap this up, but what else? Very quickly, what else do you get when you're a 14 year old player in a league going against men? You're not going to be the most physically gifted. So when you're able to get something done and you know you're not the most physically imposing player, it just reinforces the skill set that you're developing that you can compete without being the most imposing player physically. And I think he's carried that over into the league. I don't know question about that. 
All right, everybody, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We'll be back again next week, and we'll be able to talk about how the Cowboys did against the Bears and uh, how the Mavericks do going forward. Maybe we'll even work in a little college football talk if the guys let me this week, next week. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye.